I would be afraid that I would be the one who's put on a ship to cross the Atlantic Ocean to come mm-hmm. to a new world and just lots of I would die probably on yeah. that ship anyway. Yeah. Okay, that was not there's what this your, is about. There's your new play idea, everyone. If everybody, <laughs> if anybody wants to write that, a girl named Rachel on a ship comes to America and then dies. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Theater Nerds. I'm your host, Rachel Jones. And I'm your other host, Taylor Reed. Theater Nerds is a podcast about our obsessions with theater, where we will explore all aspects of theater, musicals, and everything in between. This podcast is not set up to be a deep dive into technique or theater history, but we're hopeful that no matter if you're an enthusiast like us, or if you've only seen your next door neighbor's kid's production of Legally Bond the Musical Junior, you'll enjoy this podcast. So cue the orchestra and come nerd out with us. That's right. In case you guys don't know, you can follow us on all major podcast platforms. You can also leave us a star rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To find out more about the Theater Nerd cult, check us out at theaternerdpod.com or you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Theater Nerd Pod and on Facebook at Theater Nerd Podcast. In today's episode, we're discussing theater history part two. Part dose. All right, Rachel, let's get into our second part of theater history. Remind yes. the good folks out there listening, why why are we diving into theater history? What's What do we feel like the importance of it is? Yeah, I know at the beginning we say this is not a podcast about theater history, yeah. but it is for these three episodes. So the one right before this, if you've missed, was the beginnings of history, of history, well, yeah, and theater history. Yeah. Of history in general. It's just the beginning of history. We, <laughs> there yeah. is no history like theater history. No. Okay. Anyway. It's the only so... history that matters. <laughs> There's no other history. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Oh my. Um, Yeah, it's the beginning of theater history. That's what we talked about in last episode. And this one will be the in-between. And then next we'll talk about modern day theater history. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason why we're talking about theater history is because it's important to understand where theater came from. Why do we have theater? How is it different from how it started? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what aspects do we think might be incorporated into the future of history because as we mentioned last week a lot of what happens in the future of things are often resemble the past so we need to understand it yeah I mean what do we learn from we learn from the past really and also yeah we uh so much of what was used in the past like you're saying is still used today um maybe just in a different way or you know there are reasons for maybe we don't do that certain type of thing or certain way of performing or something like you know stuff like that so yeah absolutely yeah I do think it's it's important to mention that obviously these three episodes are a very broad and general look at theater history 
Um, something that I recently actually found in this episode, and I want to shout out, it's such a cool resource um, that I found. It's called Crash Course on YouTube. We'll link it in the show notes below. There's a theater and drama section. So it kind of goes into like specifics on theater history. Um, there's over like 50 videos on just the drama and theater section alone. Um, so it's really cool. And it's, you know, these guys kind of talking about different types of history. You know, obviously, this is theater history, looking at it and just talking about it in a cool way and learning different things about each era and all of that. So you guys should definitely check that out if you want a more in depth, you know, look at theater history. If you are looking for that rosé fun light discussion, (laughs) you know, on theater history, then you found the right place. Yeah, this is us. Absolutely. I think um, what Taylor said is really important that we're really glossing over and we're very aware of how much we're glossing over. But we also know that some of you who are listening might be just dabbling in your understanding of theater. Um, And so we don't want to intimidate you. Um, And also we're not experts in theater. And so we don't want to pretend that we are. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is our best, our best effort uh, in a short condensed way to make the theater history interesting and, you know, uh, value it Mm -hmm. as well. um, So that when we talk about other things throughout our podcasts in general, and we talk about other musicals and plays, we can reference potentially some of the things that we've learned together. So, Mm, yeah. So today, Taylor, we're talking about the Renaissance period. The Renaissance. And, and let me just play this, you know, this, not that I play clips on the show ever, but you know, just this one (laughs) time, I want to just. Yeah, Rachel and I are doing jazz hands right now. It's amazing. Little peep and peep and what we're gonna talk about, maybe. That's welcome to the Renaissance. You know, from something rotten. If you guys don't know that show, check it out. It's amazing. Um, It's amazing. We're talking about the Renaissance period, y'all. We are. We are talking about the Renaissance. It's gonna get cray. (laughs) We're gonna talk about things and we're gonna go through the 14th century to the early 17th century in hopefully less than an hour so yeah <laughs> let's do it buckle up <laughs> let's get to it let me ask you when you think about the renaissance as a whole like what do you yeah. think about it like what are you what is your mindset when someone says like renaissance what do you think about besides that song or it's yeah. like renaissance means revert yeah. which yeah, i yeah, definitely yeah. think about i think about paintings and then mm-hmm. immediately I think about the <laughs> new ninja turtles <laughs> <laughs> because of all of the artists that's amazing <laughs> I cracked myself up saying that <laughs> I would love there to be like a teenage mutant ninja turtles like musical yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Can you imagine? And they talk. Oh my gosh. Donatello would be my favorite. And so the puppetry fine. you could do. I'm just saying. It was National Puppet Puppetry Day uh, this past week. So wow. shout out to puppets. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to all those puppets. Uh, if you're listening out there, give us a like on social media. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the Renaissance is like you were saying, it's kind of, it's funny, every time I think of Renaissance, I often, I often hear people nowadays talking about like when an actor has like a resurgence or, re the, you know, like the Matthew McConaissance or like, um, what is it? <laughs> I someone, haven't heard this. In, yeah, someone in a video recently was like the Christine Ricci-assance. And because she was recently in the show Yellow Jackets, and now she's going to be on um, mm, the new mm -hmm. Adams Family show on Netflix that's, that's right. coming. So I was, I just always kind of associate it to like, oh, like it's when something is like being rebirthed, like they were saying in the in the in the song, like something is like re-emerging out of the shadows or something. So yeah, I mean, I also think, I mean, in general, when I think about the Renaissance, which maybe is on my mind now uh because of the covid pandemic we're in right but i do think about a, there's a lot of death because mm -hmm. of plague happening right. i mean i think a lot about fairy tales they often happen or modern day fairy tales you know set in the renaissance period there's just a lot happening there's a lot of a lot of tools being developed, a lot of, like a lot of things were, were happening, not just in the theater arts, performing arts world mm -hmm. during this time. But I often think when I think of Renaissance, I think the movement from, I don't know, staunchy things mm -hmm. <laughs> into yeah. very colorful, lots of movement, lots of people, lots of integrating these. Well, innovation in a way too. Like, yeah, absolutely. A of, yeah. A and inventing I mean not that we're going to reference something rotten every five seconds in this episode but um, this should just I, be a something rotten show yeah deep dive this is, a, <laughs> this is our side piece of a something rotten deep dive but, not to be confused with side show <laughs> exactly exactly too much too much uh some they talk about in that show how yeah there's so much like inventors at the time that were like trying new things and like inventing yeah. new things yeah it's hard to imagine like do you think at the time like would you have gotten a plague <laughs> is this a weird question to ask like do you this I fe feels a like a heavy question like do you feel it like I feel like this time specifically I'm like I don't know if I would want to go back to it like serious like hmm. even though there was a lot of cool things going on I don't know genuinely if I could have lived in that time I find it really interesting maybe we'll talk about this or maybe this is us talking about it but the thing about the renaissance period or the 14th into the 17th century mm -hmm. is there's this emergence of a middle class um yeah. uh, socially mostly obviously in england but this is also everywhere in italy and spain and france as well and um you have this now this group of people who have more not just wealthy people but you have right. this median group of people who have never really existed before in civilization who are now trying to figure out what they're doing and how to do things and how to adapt and I mm -hmm. just don't know I, I don't know what it would have been like to live through that mm -hmm. um I just I can't imagine although part of me feels we often live through things that we don't classify as certain things until later like right. we I wonder if they knew oh yeah we're we're the middle class I don't <laughs> think they probably thought about it that way um right. so 
Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I would want to return back if that's the question you're, you're asking me. I think it would be, maybe I'd just like do it in spurts. Like I'll just go in certain times, like just a time yeah. machine to just like see what it was like. And then a fly on the walls, but living in that time. No. no. Yeah. It doesn't seem that like, even though maybe the outfits are kind of cool, but women didn't have it so great either. Yeah, that's true. I would be afraid that I would be the one who's put on a ship to cross the Atlantic ocean to come mm-hmm. to a new world and just lots of, I would die probably on yeah. that ship. Anyway, yeah. that, okay. That was not there's what this your, is about. There's your new play idea, everyone. If everybody, <laughs> if anybody wants to write that, a girl named Rachel on a ship goes to America and then dies. <laughs> oh, sounds well, so uplifting. I know. Well, we talk. Uh, I mean, in our in our research, we looked at we're looking at a lot of like you know a lot of playwrights came into this time a lot of exploration in the theater industry Uh, a lot of you know we talked a lot about religion on the last episode and how that kind of influenced everything and it honestly it's still from what I saw it like still kind of seeps into the culture of of what theater is Um, but I think I think people that were writing things wrote about different things in this time um but as far as also what i found interesting were like the rulers at the time had like big influences on like what the theater scene was which i found fascinating listen um well i will say during like the tudor monarch there were a lot of like mystery and like morality plays um they were like still popular and then a lot of the time there were you know after that there were specific people as we know like William Shakespeare and Christopher Marlowe and all these playwrights and after that time I mean we're we're talking very generally uh Elizabeth the first became the ruler and she like really loved theater and like really embraced it during the renaissance which is really cool. She would like, I think I saw a thing that she would like, she would like go to a play and then like come home and like dissect it and like talk about it with like all her friends and, or, you know, or like the people around her or whatever. And um, she at the time, which I found super interesting, ordered that playwrights not focus or discuss on religion or politics at all. She basically ordered them not to write about that, which that's kind of crazy. Could you imagine if that was the thing now? <laughs> Which is why I find it really interesting because a lot of Shakespeare's writing yeah. is writing about politics and religion, but through uh, a world that is not currently existing. Right. Which I, I think is like Hamlet, right? Is all mm-hmm. about rulership. I mean, it's also about a family sort of, right. but it's right. mostly about rulership and other things. And mm-hmm. so- Mm-hmm. you know yeah well while we're on this subject a little bit you know we can't not about this ladies and gentlemen all the way from stratford upon avon the king of couplets the sultan of sonnets the man who put the i am in iambic pentameter please put your hands together for the one the only william shakespeare amazing uh, fun fact so i've good. actually been to stratford upon avon 
Amazing. So That's fun. so fun. It was lovely. I highly recommend everyone going. I haven't been there, but I've been to the Globe Theater. I mean, it's uh, so cool. For, so cool. For the audience um, at home, because this is not a video yeah. show, I am wearing a William Shakespeare shirt. Yes. And what does it and say, Rachel? Tell the it listeners. Says, <laughs> it says prose before hoes. Yeah. And the ho doesn't have an e in it, yeah. so like Shakespearean hoes, yes. which I find, I find very fitting. Amazing! <laughs> it's it's um when I first saw it, I was like, you know, it, it's it's interesting that during this period, Shakespeare's like, I feel like one of the only people we like still remember. Like he's like obviously he was so prolific and listen did he even write his plays who knows maybe we should a whole different podcast (laughs) did William Shakespeare actually write his plays um yeah but you know I I I don't know it's interesting that he stayed this like very like his his work has lasted so long yeah I wonder what that is um Mm -hmm. part of me wants to just preface our whole conversation going back to talking about the Renaissance period is that this is a European experience that is happening during these times. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about how theater history has often been very Mm. Mm Anglo-Saxon, very white. Um, And so, yeah, just very aware of that, especially when we're talking about the Renaissance uh, period. But I, I do wonder if you know, when we think about these other playwrights who I, I wrote down a few of them, mm-hmm. um, which once again, apologies for my pronunciation, but you know, you already said uh, Marlowe, uh, Lope de Vega, who was in Spain, um, uh, Jean Baptiste Poquin, 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 I don't know. Great. Uh, obviously French, so I send clearly us, did not take a, French. A tweet if we said that. <laughs> and then John Racine or Racine, and then Pierre Corneille. Mm. I'm so bad at this. Why do I try every well, time? Well, again, it's interesting. Anyway. Like maybe Christopher Marlowe, just because I heard it in something rotten. But all the oh, other yeah. ones, like well, Marlowe, yeah, certainly. Yeah. But I, the others, I do wonder if part of this is because we are in an Americanized right. theater industry now, right. like a right. large part of theater history present day, which we will talk about in the next episode, mm. is is shaped around uh, yeah. the West End and Broadway, which, yeah. you know, both are English speaking. So mm-hmm. clearly our lineage here, mm-hmm. not that other things co- don't come into play, they totally do, which we'll talk about in a second. It are these English playwrights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's part of that yeah. Uh, also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there also was this shift and talk about this, like in the types of like plays that were being performed, right? Like during this. Right. Time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I have some new types of plays um, mm-hmm. or things that were coming about during the Renaissance period. Um, one of them was intermezzi, which basically means a short in between. (laughs) Um, And this was short pieces based off of mythology that were happening specifically in, um, in Italy um, about uh, and sometimes in England, but anyway, most, mostly in Italy about um, mythology. I already said that, sorry, in between (laughs) the acts of big plays. So, you know, Shakespearean acts might be really long or scene changes might have been 
really long at some point. And so these people would come on basically as an aside um, and uh, have a little, little small play based off of something you already knew, a play with which I found play. that really interesting. Yeah. I found that super interesting. Yeah. A play within the play. It's like playception. Yeah. yeah. So there's, so there's that. And then there's pastor pastoral, which is literally like in nature, a play in nature. Mm. I did not really, really fully done, understand. It's like still done. I mean, I know people that have done literally Shakespeare, like in the park and around, you know, will go to different spots in an area, like in a park and then perform it. So I wonder if that's what it means or I don't know. Yeah, I fully, I didn't fully understand, but I knew that that was an important piece of where setting was. And then the next, which you'll probably know, this is the one that hasn't changed really a lot since forming in the Renaissance period is the opera. Mm. So this was a new type of theater that was coming about. Um, and then the other two were base, very similar. So uh, Commedia dell'arte, which is basically an improvised play. Um, so where there are stock characters. So you have these set characters or archetypes. Right. Yeah. And then you would, I assume, get audience participation mm-hmm. or pull something out of a hat and decide what you're going to talk about, which is basically an improv show. Right. Um, and this was the beginning, supposedly, of slapstick humor being a huge mm-hmm. part of what is to become comedy. Uh, yeah. Three Stooges probably <laughs> would not have existed without this experimentation of slapstick comedy. So those are new types of theater elements, like actual types of theater that are happening across Italy, England, Spain, and France. It's such like a vibrant, like creative time. It sounds like, sounds like they were just like trying a bunch of things instead of just like doing the same old, you know, play, you know, 500 times or whatever. They were like, well, how can we make this different? Yeah, I think part of this is what I mentioned before about this emergence of this middle class. So you no longer just have the wealthy landowners, you have this middle class. And then obviously in the Renaissance period, all of the countries that we named uh, come to the Renaissance at a different time period, often after a war. Mm. Um, So I feel there's part of that idea of like a peacetime. We need to entertain people. People now have money. There's more people who have money. There's more people who are looking for this. Less people turning to organized religion as the only way to practice these kinds of things now we have instruments i mean there's just a lot of things happening more people being a huge part of this too populations within cities Mm. so Mm, interesting you're right it is interesting what what else did you notice taylor about well i want to take a pause because we already did talk about william shakespeare and i want to take a pause and ask you what is your favorite shakespeare that you have read or seen or it could be it could be different either either of the two. Ooh. Okay. I mean terrible, terrible. I have an honorable mention I'll name first. Oh great, great. No, no, no. I'll name my honorable mention last. Okay. Oh, okay. So my favorite Shakespeare writing um are the sonnets. Mm-hmm. I just really like the sonnets yeah. as an entity as a whole. I especially like them if we were to read them as if they are a collection of poems designed to be a collection of poems. I really, really enjoy them. Um, I feel like they 
potentially offer the most we have to know about Shakespeare as a writer mm-hmm. or as a human itself, himself, mm-hmm. their self. It's debatable. Itself, whatever. Um, yeah, but I think my favorite my favorite piece performed is A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. I just find it's fun and funny and there are so many good one liner asides, yeah. but also it's such an ensemble cast. You get a lot of people. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who can play different parts um, and it is controversial, but probably less so modern day than a lot of other Shakespeare things. Mm-hmm. And my honorable mention on that actually is once again, the sweet life of Zach and Cody, not a sponsor, but they did an episode on a Midsummer Night's Dream and it wasn't the whole thing, but I found, I found that to be, honestly, you should go back and watch that clip because it was really cute. Yeah. 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 Which is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. So. What about you, Taylor? That is also my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we're friends, actually. It's for real. I mean, he, uh, of course, has a lot of incredible works. I mean, there's so much. It it almost feels like there's so much for everyone because you have, like, the tragedy and then you have the comedy and then you have the romance. Like, there's literally, I think everyone could probably find a piece of work that he's done that they enjoy. Um but yeah, Midsummer. I'm surprised Midsummer hasn't been like redone. Like Romeo and Juliet's obviously like the main one that every literally. I don't think there's a soul on this planet that doesn't know what Romeo and Juliet is. <laughs> but Midsummer feels like one that would be fun to like modernize. Yeah, I think so too. I think it. I think once again, just the elements of playfulness that are there uh, that are. I. I feel missing in quite a few mm. of the other pieces. Mm. Yeah. My honorable mention is Tammy of the Shrew. Love Tammy of the Shrew as well. Yes. Also very controversial, but very good. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw Taming of the Shrew locally with an all woman cast. Cool. And that was really, really, really exciting. Oh, shout out to that. the all woman Tammy of the Shrew. Yeah, it was great. That's amazing. Good job. I wish I had seen it. Um, let's see. What should we transition to? Um, I, I, I have, a, as far as like the next kind of period within the period, you know, we're, yeah. now we're going period ascension um, of the, it's called the J- Jaco- Jacobian period, I believe. Mm-hmm. Jacobian. Yes. Yeah. Jacobian, Jacobies. Say it, right. So Probably that happened after Elizabeth the first, what we were mm-hmm. mentioning. And what was interesting, what I found about this period, um, the plays and the dramas around, everything became more of a spectacle and it became more violent, which I found interesting. Yeah. Um, Comedies became more satirical in nature and tragedies focused more on like moral corruption and revenge, which is soups intense. And, uh, (laughs) It talked about maybe be like thinking of this transition more of like Romeo and Juliet, like we were saying, to like Macbeth. Like that's yeah. the transition between the two, which I found it's crazy how over, you know, I don't know how, how long the period was, but not probably not that long of a time that, you know, 
something like Romeo and Juliet could be popular and then something like Macbeth. It also shows even today how, you know, you'll have different things that will be popular or written about, you know, during during certain periods of change in leadership or change in, you know, uh, different political or social things happening at the time. Uh, so it was even happening then, like, Romeo and Juliet, something like that probably wouldn't have been written during this more, you know, violent, intense time that was going on. So Yeah, I think something important to note specifically about UK history, mm-hmm. English history, theater history, within the Jacobean time, uh, you have both Scotland and England being ruled by one king. Right. Um, and that was and is and has been a very tension driven relationship. And I can only assume that this idea of revenge and vengeance and violence comes mm-hmm. from the desire uh, internally and the tensions that were internally being placed about whether or not there was going to be more war and violence right. as one um, as one country or entity. So I think there's a lot that that is happening there that's creating what's happening within the literature and plays themselves and how they're enacted within the within England within the UK well and when we think about artists in general like they're only gonna they're gonna write about what they're experiencing and -hmm. what they're going through so they're gonna you know write what you know that's what they say so that's what I've heard that's that's what they tell you this period sounds like a real Batman. If anyone's seen the new Batman, <laughs> which is on my list, but it's three hours long, so I need it to dedicate hours. my I've time. I've seen it twice, so I've spent nine hours of my life. That's six. Or six, six. You're right. I'm sorry. I've spent six hours of my life watching mm-hmm. Batman. I listen. I saw Endgame three times in theater, so that was nine hours of my life. But there you go. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like if Batman came out during this time, it would fit right in. It would fit right in. <laughs> really dark. Well, really, you know, really uh, brooding. You know, Very brooding. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that I think is interesting, we can focus on England and then maybe move to other other things, is the idea of acting troops at this mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So I, I'm sure you have things to think about or say on this too, Taylor, but the, within, within England, um, legitimate, there were acting troops normally like 20, 25. I think we briefly mentioned this mm-hmm. last time, Yeah. Uh, how we would it's get to this 11. point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Amazing. But um, yeah, there are legitimate acting troops uh, made of men only in, in, England. Um, and they are licensed by the crown in order to be actual acting troops, mm-hmm. but they also had patrons. So this is fun. This is how this comes into play, um, where there are people of a high ranking court who mm-hmm. are paying for the acting to happen, who are basically sponsoring it. So this is very important, very important to think about when it comes to what we're going to talk about in the next episode and how uh, theater is made now. But so you have people investing money because it's an investment Mm. into a production in order for them to sell tickets or whatever. Um, And yeah, that's very, very important. Um, So, but they had to be licensed by the crown. 
which means they had to officially be approved. And in order to be approved, there could be no women in England um, who were in the acting troops. Now, I'm pretty sure that was the same for France and Italy. Spain was the only one that I read that noted that women were perfectly capable of performing. But what I did... Go Spain. But what I did find interesting is once Queen Elizabeth is gone, post-Queen Elizabeth, um, we have this masks, M-A-S-Q-U-E-S, that come in in England, which are very similar to that intermezza kind of uh, play, Mm -hmm. which happen in between and are elaborate stagings of myths. Mm. And because they are not quote acting because it is a staging of a myth that might be true or is tied to religiosity women could perform in them what (laughs) yeah i find this i think this relates to intellectualism Mm. and what women were allowed to think about Mm. i still find this really interesting because there was a queen at the time in England and not, you know, was no longer King James, like King James is after Queen Elizabeth. And so we have a queen who's telling everyone that there can't be women. Hmm. It just, there's something there, but anyway. um, Well, I wonder if there were just men around her that were like, no, we can't do this. Maybe. I don't, uh, yeah. Who's to say, I have not chatted with Queen Elizabeth. It's been a while for me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We haven't gotten our brunch on in a while. Yeah. It's been Um, a minute. Well, what's fascinating is even just thinking about it now, like, I feel like there's just so many more women in the performing arts than there yeah. are men. Uh, and there's, I, I wouldn't say there's more roles for women, but there's just more, I don't know, there's just a lot of women in the industry. So, like, I wonder what even the troops were like back. Like, what were the, <laughs> it was just all these men just performing different I don't know. I Well, I think, you know, this is a lot of speculation and I'd have to do some research before we talk next week about current theater history, mm-hmm. but I can imagine, re- remember, this is peace time-ish. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people. So unless you're a man being sent to colonize, quote unquote, the new world, quote unquote, I mean, not quoting colonization, they're doing that, but you know what I mean? Explore the new world, Yeah. right? They you aren't being utilized for anything. You're not in a war anymore. And you were for a while and people were dying from bubonic plague and now people are alive-ish kind of. And so you have all of these, this workforce that has never existed before Mm. because they're not nobles who need to do something. And so of course, entertainment is is part of it, right? They're going to get paid to entertain the wealthy. Um, And there is, I even think in the United States, a, a lot at the beginning of theater history in the U.S., as it is now, there's a lot of men. And then you have this yeah. shift when wartime happens, the roles of genders that switch. And I, I think now there's a stigma of what kind of man you are if you are in a performing arts right. kind of experience. But when you think about the Renaissance, when you think about artists all of them that we know are men. All of the ones that are preserved by history are men. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were women playwrights. In Spain, there were definitely women playwrights, but do we know their names now? Um, I found some other things about like how during 16, 
1228 or to 1640 was like a puritanical reign in during the renaissance um which was not a good time for theater lovers at the time no. uh, they were wholeheartedly against theater mainly because of moral reasons but also that playhouses which i found this super ironic because of where we are living today playhouses were a center for disease and many with many people packed in one place um yeah so there was this whole uh, let's talk about theater architecture in a second yeah right the bubonic plague plague is happening disease is happening and the way that religion, specifically the Puritan religion, thought about that was a condemnation on the people enacting themselves in sin. So they, right, they thought, well, this is happening because you're sinning. And if you weren't sinning, if you were pure, you would not have these disease. So there's a lot, of, there's a lot to unpack <laughs> in that theological practice, um, but also some extreme parallels with some thought process to the theology that we have in modern day time with COVID. And this is not a political podcast, so we, or a religious one, despite our conversation sometimes. <laughs> so we won't go into that. But I just there is something to note there. But because they there was all there were all these people, the Puritans really thought theater was evil. Yep. Um, and they also didn't love that. At this point, there is a lot of what you would call secular uh, plays and, mm. you know, um, kind of, yeah, romance and things like that, that were not yeah. biblical anymore. We're no longer yeah. just doing things that are related to the Bible or at a certain festival, like this is happening all the time. Companies and troops are going from town to town. There are tons of these troops, mm. tons of them. You yeah. probably could sh see a show every day if you wanted in a city what a area dream. because they were just right because there are just so many people yeah so, i wonder if also they just like didn't get it like they were like there were these people creative, creative people that they were just like i don't get how their brain works and so they I think there's some of that i don't know yeah i mean maybe so, not. i don't know i don't know you all can watch something rotten and let us know how you feel about the portrayal of the puritans of the puritans <laughs> yeah I see the light. <laughs> um, yeah, so fun. So my last thought I have that I want to make sure I touch mm -hmm. on, Taylor, yeah. um, is theater architecture. So there were a lot of things, both both in, in all places, France, Italy, Spain, and England, mm -hmm. um, during the Renaissance, where there were new theatrical components outside of the actual play part. Mm -hmm. um, so one of them is galleries and boxes. So this started really because of opera. So the way that people had started to design opera spaces was a U-shape. Like I said, the opera is pretty similar today yeah. as it is then, which is yeah. wild to think about um, how well it's been preserved in both mm -hmm. actual song, um, but also shape. So mm -hmm. there's a U-type a U shape and um, because there were so many people coming to opera in Italy and in other places, they decided they'd have these galleries and boxes to separate the people. This was also because of disease. So they wanted to make sure that people who had more money were able to be enclosed in a space where they could see better, but then also less like um, contact with people. Obviously it's all still open in the same 
in either inside or outside right. still using the same air, but I don't think they were, there was a lot of science happening <laughs> at this time that was not quite that much science yet. Always um, thinking about the rich people. Always Right. So yeah. So that was galleries and boxes, yeah. which I've never sat at a box at an opera, but it's, it's something I think about. I have not either, you know. Uh, talk about our you know our family episode Raul you know on on Christine in in his box seat so he's a VIP yeah Yeah. absolutely he's a VIP so in England there were also this this uh divide um between public and private theaters uh so public theaters were outdoor and open air the biggest public theater well known is the Globe Theater outside um and this was public it was inside of the city limits normally um well let me ask you there yes like why do you so both of us have seen shows inside and outside oh yeah you have like a preference or like one you like because i actually shows outside are like really fun like they're they're i i've never not enjoyed a show i've seen outside so yeah um I think the good thing about uh, uh, 21st century plumbing systems is mm. that being outside doesn't impact valid. That is valid. our sense of smell in the same way. Yeah, um, yeah as it might during this time. Mm-hmm. But I really love outside shows. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Richmond um, Company, the Quill Theater, the Shakespeare Company in Richmond, Virginia, where both Taylor and I are from. Uh, they do uh, a whole series outside every summer. They put on three or four Shakespeare shows outside. Yeah. Uh, and I find it so lovely. Yeah. Um, and also like the Dog about... with Dell is a yeah. theater in Richmond that also does stuff like music, big musicals every summer. And it's so fun to see like, Every, I don't know, just like everyone has their picnic blanket and everyone. That's like, what I was going to say. It's the, also the pre-show atmosphere where you're there. It There is something about an outside show, at least the way that we have it now, um, where it feels like we're all a part of the same mm-hmm. class. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel somehow different about inside shows based off of where you're sitting, what you're wearing, where did you go to dinner beforehand? Mm. Um, There are just a lot of different things where you're in an outside show, everyone's sweating the same amount besides the actors on the stage who are really sweating and everyone's (laughs) nervous that the lightning is going to turn into rain and you're just all there. Um, Even if it does rain, more fun. Like, come on. Right. I've been in that situation, so it's been fun. (laughs) So the last thing on the England public and private, the private theaters were inside uh, and they were already inside buildings. Um, Mm -hmm. And they did this uh, because of the plague, supposedly. So they could be selective. I find this very interesting thinking about like house shows, but for theater. Mm. So you could invite 20 of the most esteemed guests instead of 750 people to spread disease. So I find that super, (laughs) super interesting. Um, similarly, uh, in Spain, there are corrals, which, yes, uh, used to hold animals in between buildings, <laughs> like a courtyard. Wow. Wow. And Spain, they were like, this is where we're going to host theater now. Um, and then also in Spain, there's this thing called a cazula, cazula, 
I hope I said that right. And that is a separate place in the audience for unaccompanied women. I like Spain a lot in this moment. Mm. I know we could talk about how they are really not doing well with the whole religious component during this time Mm. and really hurting physically, killing people and exiling them from their land. As an aside though, for their, they are really doing well to make sure women can be a part of the theater industry. And Mm. I am noticing that. Mm. so yeah fascinating it's always fascinating to me what relation i'm sure a country has with their like the arts in general yeah i'm sure it's complicated like now not so but at the time it was like don't we have other things Uh, like why is this important (laughs) do we have other things we need to worry about i mean i'm sure there are people now that think that too but (laughs) true probably true but where would we be? This show would not be alive. Uh, yes. I, I don't know. Wrapping up here, of course, the Renaissance period, there's so much that happened during it. There's so much growth and like so many, you know, amazing works were written during this time. Um, not even just Shakespeare. I mean, other ones that we, you know, that we don't even know, I'm sure that one day we'll read and be like, wow, why didn't we know this? But um when talking about Shakespeare, things that have lasted the test of time and we still talk about today. This period really has, I feel like, has really shifted, like changed so much of what theater history is and really has still like, is still incorporated in our in our day-to-day lives even today when talking about theater. Absolutely. I mean, you just think about the expansion of people who are touched by theater at this time it just has quadrupled Mm -hmm. from the 100 years before this time starts you have all the things we talked about but then things we didn't fully talk about like scenic design which is a Mm -hmm. big element that comes into play because of the the way that art is just continue like uh visual art is skyrocketing at this time in many various shapes. I mean, don't forget sculptures, which also are a part of scenic Mm -hmm. and set design, which is why you had to have little plays in between your plays because there was so much set you had to move Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you had to have a whole play in between. And so you just think about all of that and then the costuming, which has gone from one protagonist Mm -hmm. and a choir around them with potentially many masks maybe once you got, you know, closer to now you have painted, you know, costumes and like multiple people and 30 to 20, 25 to 30 people who are all men who are playing, not just men. So there's that who need all of these costumes and they travel, they travel doing this as well as having standing places. So, I mean, just thinking about props, those are probably coming into play here there's just a lot that is growing in this time period that really make way for what we see theater as today in a way that like is crazy that it's happened between mm. the late 14th century into the seven, early 17th century. Like yeah. so much happens mm. in between there also yeah. theme wise, as you, as you talked about, but yeah, it was, they did their own little national tour around. <laughs> around. Yeah different places you know before there was a national tour there were acting troops exactly it's it's exactly the same they had giant trucks and they just loaded them up 
And <laughs> well, one of the things I love, maybe this is related to why I like outdoor theater, especially mm-hmm. outdoor Shakespeare, Shakespeare theater companies, um, is because there's often a like musical component at the beginning. So in order to entertain you while you're being seated and while you're eating, people come up and would perform sonnets or uh, soliloquies or, you know, sides from, from shows and that you weren't seeing. And they would also sing. So they would just do like, that's so cool. That's you're doing that even before you're at the theater. I just find yeah, theater and art was living and breathing mm. in a lot of the the cultures that we named during this time period in a yeah. way in which I feel they were not prior and are very different now, segmented now. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of crazy. It's really it's a really cool period. And I know at the beginning I said maybe I wouldn't want to go back, but I feel like just for like a little fly on the wall, that would be fun. So, yeah. <laughs> And also to see, like, is William Shakespeare a real person? You know, that would be cool. I want to hear the craziest rumor or um, conspiracy theory that you have heard about William Shakespeare. That's what I want to know. That's everyone's homework. I love it. I love it. Well, Rachel, thank you for having this discussion with me about the Renaissance. It's been so fun. Thank you. Oh, it's been wonderful. Tell tell the folks out there what we will be talking about in our final theater history discussion. Our final theater history discussion in this three-part series. Uh, next week, we will be talking about modern theater history, which is just a big umbrella <laughs> for the mid-17th century until now. We'll be focusing on mostly uh, Broadway history in particular um, and the West End and how that has shaped, you know, historically where we are. Mm. It will be a general overview. We will not be too in-depth and maybe if people really enjoy that conversation, we'll have more of a deep dive into the actual makings of Broadway and how it has itself morphed and changed. But That's what we'll be talking about next week. Yeah, people, bring your tap shoes because we're going to Broadway. Musicals are coming. Musicals are coming. <laughs> a musical. A Once musical. again, a plug for something rotten. Something rotten. Go <laughs> check it out. What What are those writers doing today? They need to write something else. They're so good. So good. Uh, so great. Well, we can't wait for that discussion. And thank you guys for joining us today on our second episode of Theater History. All right, Rachel, let's talk about character of the week. Let's do it. (laughs) Is that insight into what your character of the week is? No, no, it's not actually. (laughs) (laughs) I was ready. All right. So character of the week. This is the segment where Taylor and I pick a theater character that we are feeling like for this past week. What are the vibes we're feeling and what character do we think uh emulates that or embodies that Mm, mm, uh sat word there uh we we would uh we would love to hear from you guys and your characters comment on our social media pages uh if you guys don't know of course on our character of the week page on our website you can submit a character of the week form and we will read it on the show um tell us who you are this week and you may like i said get a shout out on the show so Rachel, how about I go first on our? Ah, do it. 
Yeah. Uh, our character of the week, I'm going in hot and heavy for uh, someone that's very popular. And oh. I'm doing, I know it's early on in the show and I'll, maybe I'll, you know, be this character again, but listen, this week has been a little crazy. It's been a little hectic. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've oh. been trying to, you know, doing all the work, just doing all the work. I haven't really seen my wife that much at all. She's been, you know, we both need to take a break. Maybe that's a little key. I'm Alexander Hamilton from Hamilton, an American musical. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I feel like I've just take been, a break. <laughs> I've been so like tired and like been focusing on like work and whatever and just everything going on that I haven't really had time to um, take a break, as they say. So. Some might say that you're nonstop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> running out of why did I write like I'm running why out of time? Why do you write like you're running out of time? And also peeping, of course, as of recording this, right before mm. the Academy Awards, where yeah, Lynn is nominated uh, for an, uh, an Academy Award for Best Song for Encanto. So, you know, when we crossed for him, would have already won or don't win. I don't know. Won't win. I don't oh, know. Oh, true. By the time this comes out, <laughs> I, I just said fingers now. crossed. Well, I don't know. <laughs> he may have an EGOT. Who knows? oh my gosh yep so that's, that's crazy Hamilton yeah it's been a little crazy that's good mine is clearly in the same um theater <laughs> theater uh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. it's exactly the same can't wait to tell you um so I've been feeling like I've been flying from one thing to the next but now I'm in a period where I really just want to rest and I'm feeling a little lazy. Mm. Um but like intentionally so yep. sort of. And so that reminds me of someone I also know who likes to fly around from place to place and be the center of attention and then she had to sit on the meg for a while and that is Maisie Lumberd. <laughs> Oh, I love it so much. It's hard because I say for the audience at home, I say these things and Taylor laughs, and then I can't yeah. get through what I'm saying because he's laughing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Maisie a little bird. That's right. Mm. Amazing Maisie. Amazing Maisie. Look at that. Not a, not <laughs> Same a, caliber. Anna. <laughs> yeah. Very true. different. But oh, I love it. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I love that. Oh, so good. Well, guys, if you want to join us on our discussion about theater history, we'd love to hear from you guys. Check us out at theaternerdpod.com, or you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at theaternerdpod and on Facebook at theaternerdpodcast. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next week. You see, what people just don't understand is that writing's demanding, it's mentally challenging, and it's a bore, it's such a chore to sit in the room by yourself, oh my god, I just hate it. And you're trying to find an opening line or a brilliant idea, and you're pacing the floor and hoping for just a bit of...